Thank you for that kind introduction, Jason. It's my honor to get to be with you this morning and get to open up God's Word with you. And so please give your attention with me as we begin uh, in Psalm 21. I don't know if there's a title to the sermon somewhere. I would retitle the sermon if I could do it over to something like The King's Joy. Uh, I'm not sure what you have written down there. But the passage we're looking at is all about joy, and there's several books that have been out in the last few years on happiness, how to have a happier life. 10% Happier, that's one book that I saw. And one that I picked up last week is called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. And in the book, David Brooks talks about these people who are on their second mountain. And the first mountain that they were climbing was the Mountain of Achievement. And they hoped on this mountain that they would climb it and that they would find happiness and joy in getting that job promotion, having that house, marrying that man or that woman, living in that city. And this whole mountain was designed to make them happier. And these people who are on their second mountain now were knocked off the first mountain, either because of some moral failure, that they had an affair or their spouse had an affair, or because of some uh, circumstance that happened to them. They got cancer. Someone that they loved uh, died. And they were knocked off this first mountain trying to find happiness for themselves. And now they're on the second mountain. And these people who are on the second mountain have decided that they're going to find happiness somewhere outside of themselves. They're going to try and look for happiness, not by making themselves happy, but they're going to find joy out there by looking away from themselves and making someone else joyful. And this book is not a Christian book, and so David Brooks does not recommend the gospel as the thing that's going to make you joyful. But it is very biblical, the idea that you've got to look away from yourself to find true joy. Very biblical. That you've got to look away from yourself in order to find happiness. And this psalm, Psalm 21, is all about looking away from yourself to find joy. And it's very unique because many of the psalms talk about, um, the psalmist will use the first person, my sorrows, my joys, my triumphs, my victories, or the things that I'm afraid of. That's how the psalms sound. But this psalm is is unique because it's in the third person. It's all about looking away to this person who's the king. We look to the king, we can find joy. And so look with me in Psalm 21. I'm going to read for us now. This is God's word from Psalm 21. And it says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. 
your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath. The fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together centered on you, Lord Jesus, that you might glorify yourself and increase our joy. Amen. This year, my wife and I celebrate 10 years of marriage, and I was reminded of the message that our pastor gave during our wedding ceremony. And the first point of the, the, the message that he gave at our wedding ceremony was that in order to have a good marriage, a healthy marriage, successful marriage, you've got to first do one thing. And that one thing is that you've got to look away from yourself. Look away from your own needs and look to someone else. And that is what Psalm 21 is all about, looking away from ourselves in order to find true joy. And I want to uh, think about three things about this true joy that we can only get from the king. And those three things are that this joy that the king can give us, it is wholehearted and it's good news and it's immovable. This joy is wholehearted, and it's good news, and it's immovable. First, how is it wholehearted? It's wholehearted because of the source of the joy. The whole heart of the king finds his joy in the whole heart of God. The amazing thing here is that the king is not in love with his possessions or the king's power or how much land that the king has. King is exulting and overjoyed in the presence of the Lord. The king says, You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And the king's heart is like a great oak tree. This oak tree, the king's heart, it's been planted firmly into the heart of God. And the king has found gladness and joy. What does this tell us about gladness? It's that gladness can only be found in relationship. Stop for a minute and think about who wrote this psalm, King David. If ever there was a man who could have found happiness and joy and fulfillment in this earth, it was King David. Who was wealthier than King David? Who had more land and more money? Who had achieved more? Who had more respect from his peers than King David? Nobody did. Uh, countless wives and concubines, no one knew pleasure and power and possessions more than King David. And yet the king says, my joy is in you and in your presence, O Lord. There's countless counterfeits for joy, isn't there? We need this joy. We need God to give it to us. Because we naturally find joy in all the wrong things. Um, 
This is the nature of addiction. Why do we love bourbon more than our children? Um, Why do we love to work and just get respect from our colleagues to the point where we neglect our spouses? We're looking for joy in the wrong places, right? Countless counterfeits to this joy. And there's also a religious counterfeit to this wholehearted joy whole heart of the king and the whole heart of God. The religious counterfeit is trying to find joy in just being a good girl or a good boy. And this religious counterfeit of joy, it focuses on strict moral rules, usually focusing on externals, the way you look and sound, what you eat or drink. This counterfeit joy that's religious focuses on just being a good boy or a good girl. You know how you can spot religious counterfeit joy? It moves whole hearts of one person away from the whole heart of another person. Counterfeit joy moves people away from one another. And it moves people away from God. That's how you can spot this religious counterfeit joy. But the king has got his whole heart, and he's found his joy in the whole heart of God. It's also good news, and... It's good news, firstly, in just the experience. What does it feel like to have joy? Does it really even exist? Sometimes we're so cynical, you see someone who looks happy and you think, it's not going to last very long. I've been around long enough to know your joy's not going to last too long, sometimes we say. What did it feel like for this king to have joy? He says that he is rejoicing. He says that he is exalting. That that, that word exalting is not one that we use very often. It just means that he's elated, the king is. He says that the Lord has given him rich blessings and that these rich blessings are going to last not for five minutes or ten years, but the king will be blessed for how long? Forever. The king says that he's been given a crown of fine gold, that the Lord has given him splendor, and majesty. I want us to stop for a minute and ask again, who is the king in this psalm? Who is he? Because remember, David normally speaks about himself in the first person. What's happened to him? Uh, Lord, I confess my sin. Lord, this is my victory. But here King David has written down this picture of a king, and not just any king, But the king. Was King David made blessed forever? Could King David say that he never died, never saw death, because the Lord had given him life eternally? Who's been made blessed forever? Um, Who was exalted? Even exalted to the right hand of God, and he sat down and now reigns and rules in heaven. Who now wears uh, glory and honor like a crown? The scripture says. It's only the Lord Jesus who fills out this psalm the way that David is describing. These things couldn't be about David. They're too good. The experience of this joy is too great. It's not something that David experienced in his life. Because David, in in, in many ways, was waiting for joy. He was having to wait for it. But the Lord Jesus doesn't. And We sometimes talk so much about the cross and the sufferings of Jesus that we forget that he suffers no more. 
Part of the good news of the gospel is that the mission of Jesus' death and resurrection is over. It is finished. He died once and once for all. And now, what does it feel like to be Jesus? Does it feel like a crown of thorns in 2019 to be the Son of God? What's the experience of the Son of God right now? Is it being spat upon and humiliated and crucified? No, it is not. But this song about the true King, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is about Jesus' experience right now. And he's not suffering, and he's not sad, and he's not sick. But he reigns and rules at the right hand of God, and he exults in the Lord, this King. And how is this good news for you? So what? And you really see this in the prayer of the King. Did you notice that? That the King prays. He makes a request from the Lord, and the Lord gives him his request. The Lord gives the king his heart's desire. And we've already said that this king is the son of God, fully God. Does the son of God in his divinity need to ask anything for anyone? No, he does not. The son of God doesn't need anything from his father. He is autotheos, God in himself, this king. So why would he need to ask anything? And it's because this king became a man, right, with blood and bones and sweat and hair. And this king died on a cross and is a part of his mission. He is our high priest. And his request is that this joy is not just for him, but it is for all those in his kingdom. A friend of mine um, recently said this about his marriage. He said, I just want to feel desired. I just want to feel wanted. And I think that would speak for many of our hearts, wouldn't it? I want to feel like someone wants me. The good news for you is that you don't have to look for that from your spouse. You don't have to look for that in your church family even or from praise and success at work. The joy of the king is for all those in his kingdom. And the love of the Lord is for all the members of the body who have Christ as their head. You ever been to a great wedding where the joy of the bride and the groom, it has flowed out into that wedding reception. And now it is not just the bride and the groom who are elated, but it is all those who who are part of the wedding party. And the same is true for all those in the body of Christ who have Christ as their head. This love between the king and the Lord, it has flowed out now down into the kingdom. And so that now we can say that the Lord rejoices in you and that we rejoice in him. And his presence is with us. It's good news for us. The whole heart of the king rejoicing and the whole heart of the Lord It's good news for us because the thing that we want most, to feel desired and to feel wanted, the king has secured that for us in his mission. He's requested it for us. But finally, I want to look at how is this joy immovable? How is it immovable? And you see this especially in verse 7. It's one of those sneaky things about this passage 
It says, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Who is trying to move the king? The Lord keeps the king from being moved. The Lord protects the joy of the king that he's going to give out to everyone in his kingdom. But someone is trying to move the king. It's why the Lord has to help him to be immovable. And you see that in verse 8. The people trying to move the king out of the joy of the Lord are the the enemies of the Lord. What do they do? It says that they plan evil. And then it says, what's the Lord going to do to his enemies? Those who are threatening the joy of the king. What is the Lord going to do? And it says in verse 9, You will make them a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. And then look in verse 12. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. The wrath of God, a difficult subject to talk about. The subject you avoid at the water water cooler, the wrath of God. But the wrath of God is very important for at least two reasons. And the first reason is that no one talked about the wrath of God more than Jesus. No one talked about the judgment of the Lord more than Jesus Christ did. And you see this even in the way that Jesus is described in a passage in 2 Thessalonians. I wanted to read this. It's about the wrath of Jesus. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, That Jesus, when he returns, is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. If we're going to take Jesus seriously, we have to take the wrath of God seriously. And if Jesus came to to save those who are sick and those who are lost, his wrath has got something to do with his love for the world and his love for all those that he came to save. The second reason that the wrath of God is important is that it shows us how passionate the Lord is for the joy of his king. The Lord is passionate about the joy and the happiness and the blessedness of his son, the Lord Jesus, the king of his kingdom. And he is so passionate that he will not let any of his enemies threaten that joy, threaten that blessedness. And The New Testament even talks about the enemies, the enemies of the Spirit and the enemies of the Lord, even in terms of things that are inside of us. We think of the enemies of God as the world sometimes or as Satan, but there's a third enemy, the enemy within. And this is how Paul describes it. He says that you've got to put to death, therefore, what's earthly within you. The Apostle Paul says that in him there is this body of death. And you've got to begin to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. 
And this enemy, this enemy of the Lord that he has promised to destroy, is one inside of us as much as it is out there somewhere. You'll remember the movie Forrest Gump. And there's a scene where the woman who's the main character, who has grown up in a very, very abusive uh, home, her father abused her. And it's a scene late in the movie where she... She finds the house of the home that she grew up in where she had experienced this abuse. And there's no one there anymore. It's an abandoned home. But she begins to pick up rocks and throw it at the house to destroy it. You know, she's breaking windows and trying to blow this house away. Now, is that really going to, um, is, is that going to do away with the abuse? Did the house harm her in any way? No, it didn't. But she wanted to destroy this thing that was evil. She wanted to kill it. Um, why do people sometimes who've been addicted to pornography, the, the phone or the magazine or, wh- or whatever it was, when they're trying to shake loose of it in their life, they burn it? Why is it that people who have uh, had mountains of credit card debt that when they're trying to get free of this credit card debt, and um, they don't just uh, come up with an Excel spreadsheet and a plan, but sometimes they'll take the credit card and they'll light it on fire and they'll burn it. Um, think about a man trying to be free of alcoholism. Why is it that uh, sometimes men, you know, uh, they have a gun and they find a field somewhere and they shoot and they try and just obliterate this bottle of liquor, and then, uh, or, or they bury it in the ground. Why do we do these things? It's because we don't just want to live a more balanced life. Um, we don't just want to be braver with the way that we live. But we want to see these enemies, these enemies that are inside of us, dead and gone. We want to see the evil in the world and the evil in our own hearts put in an oven, and destroyed forever. And this is the good news for us. It is that we need someone to take the arrow of his judgment and to aim it at our addictions and our selfishness and our impatience. We need someone to take the arrow of his destruction and to just blow it away. So that all will be left is joy, the joy of the king. And I'll close with this this morning. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. This is the question I would ask for you. What if there's more to life than achievement? What if there is more to joy than that next Instagram uh, Thing you're going to look at. I'm not. I'm not on Instagram. I don't. I can't be more specific about the illustration. What if there is more joy to be found in your life right now? If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, what if that joy can be found only in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What if the way to find fulfillment and blessing in your life is to look away from yourself? 
and to just have an honest conversation with God and tell him about all the ways your life has become miserable because you have tried to find joy and pleasure and power and possessions. What if you just had an honest conversation with God and told him that, confessed that to him, and asked him to give you a new heart, a heart like the king, a heart like the king loves to give away. King Jesus loves to take the joy that he has with his Lord and to give it away to sinners. And the fact that you're a sinner, that is no obstacle at all to the joy of the king because he wants to give it away. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer and you are a Christian, I was trying to think about how to, how to aim this, this passage. And think about anxiety for a minute. Many of my students at UAB they are overwhelmed with anxiety. And I imagine some of you are like that too. I'm like that sometimes. How does the joy of the king speak to our anxiety? What will secure your joy? The king has secured your joy. He has secured eternal gladness and his eternal presence with you. Therefore, should you be anxious? No, you should not. Your joy's been secured. So what should you do the next time you're afraid? What if that next time you were afraid, when you felt anxiety creeping up on you, you went to your king and you went to your Lord and you had an honest conversation with him about it? And you told him about what you were afraid of. And you asked him to make the joy of the king real to you. If you do that, he will answer that prayer. And you will find that this joy that the king can give us, it is immovable. This gladness, it cannot be moved by infertility. It cannot be moved by unfaithfulness from a spouse. It cannot be moved by job loss. It cannot be moved by death itself, King David tells us. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead, and your joy, beloved Christian, is immovable. And though now we walk through the valley of tears many times, don't we? And we cling to the joy of our king through fear and anger and sickness and tears. But there will come a day when that joy is complete. And our king's reign will be made complete. He will put under his feet the last enemy, death itself. And we will all together, as the body of Christ, elate and exult together in the joy of our king. Let's pray that he would make that real in our hearts and minds. And not just our hearts and minds, but people all over Birmingham, uh, all over the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do confess that we're desperate for happiness and we look for it in all the wrong places. Lift our hearts to you, King Jesus. Help us to find our happiness and blessedness in you. And we pray that you would do that for your glory. Amen.